So we are here on a nice sunny um, afternoon at the Amsterdam Brewery in Toronto, uh, and I'm sitting here having a nice pint with Gary Gilman and Cody Noland of Amsterdam. And we're here to chat about something really cool that, um, that I learned about a little while back over a beer with Gary. And uh, it's fitting that a beer historian like himself brought to, brought to life, working with Amsterdam, a beer that is 150, if not more, years yeah, old. That's right. And uh, that, of, that was uh, the AK English Bitter. So we're here to talk about this story and how this beer came to be, because it was a cool story when Gary first told me about it. And I thought it would make for a great uh, a chat with uh, both himself and uh, uh, Cody here. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, I thought you'd first, um, I'll ask you, Gary, um, if you could introduce yourself. You and I have known each other for many years. Yes. Going back through the old bar towel forum days. Right. Um, and uh, and I've, I've always been an admirer of your beer knowledge because you <laughs> have known so much because you have uh, been around and survived. Uh, so uh, why don't you just uh, tell everybody uh, about yourself and um, your relation to the beer world. Well, thanks very much, uh, Cass. And your mentioning Bartow brought back really fond memories because, you know, you were a pioneer in setting up that, uh, that, beer, that beer discussion uh, board and forum. And, um, and I participated on it for quite a long time and uh, met some great people, including yourself. But I'm uh, primarily and first foremost a beer fan. Um, I'm a lawyer in my regular job, day-to-day job, but I've devoted a lot of time over the years to studying beer and beer history. And uh, it's been a matter of decades, even before the internet, so I guess I'm aging myself here a little bit. But um, I've always had a library, extensive library of beer uh, volumes, uh, beer resources, and with the internet and the online environment, it's been even more interesting and, and frankly, easier to, to research, to go back. So I've spent a lot of time doing that in the last three years uh, and using my main um, um, method of uh, recording my findings and my, uh, my opinions uh, is on my website, beeretsec.com. And, um, and that's where I first mentioned, uh, mentioned this recipe, this 1870 AK recipe. So how did this beer come about? So how did you find the recipe? Okay. What's, what, I mean, okay, I'll what, tell is, you. what is the story of, of AK and, uh, and why, it's, uh, okay. why it was something that you wanted to bring, bring back? Well, it actually came about because I was looking for a definition of AK. There's been a longstanding, um, not dispute, but issue uh, in beer historical circles for a long, long time, at least since World War I as to what AK means, and people disagree on, on what it means. And I was fascinated by this, and after, after learning through, you know, operating my uh, website, Beer Historical website, how to research uh, certain resources uh, to get answers, after learning a bit how to do that, I started to search for what AK meant. So I found, in 1870, in something called the uh, English Mechanic and World of Science, which was a technical journal of the day, the, the only definition I'm aware of from the era as to what AK means, and it also gave a recipe for AK and IPA. 
So that's how I found it. He said, the author said it meant keeping ale or ale for keeping. Mm -hmm. And because he gave a recipe in there, um, a 4AK, uh, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice maybe one day to, to brew that? And that finally came about with Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. So, Cody, how did, how did you get involved in this project? Was it uh, just a relationship you had with Gary? And uh, what, was it, what was that all about? Uh, well, Gary did approach us with the recipe. But um, for us, it really, um, it really worked out because we, um, myself and, and Ian Makustra, um, the director of brewing operations, um, we're talking about this idea where you would you track uh, the history of IPA back all the way. Um, there's a lot of, of of noise in the industry right now, and there's a lot of new ingredients, and there's a lot of new interpretations. And I think to really understand where you stand with your ability to create recipes really starts with where those recipes came from in the first place. And so we sort of just kind of hashed out this idea where we would go through uh, a series of historical IPA recipes going from 1870 to the 1930s all the way to uh, you know the, the beginning of the craft beer boom in the 1980s up to uh, up to current uh, New England IPAs and, and working with Gary really worked out to really start us on on that process of really understanding where the flavors we associate with one of the most popular styles actually come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, um, like the idea of, like in beer, like what's old is new again, because, you know, my, well, the last pos- podcast I did was about the um, recreation of a, one of the beers from Upper Canada, which was like, you know, yeah. what a lot of drinkers of sort of my age remember as some of the first beers that they had, because they were sort of different in their era. And it's funny when I was thinking about today's conversation with you guys, it's like, well, this is bringing back one that's even way farther back, another hundred years earlier. So I want to, I'd love to get your take on like, what makes this, like, what are the foundations of this beer? What is, what is this beer made of that makes it unique and, and interesting? Well, okay. And thank you. And I just, Cass, if I can just very quickly say before that, that I think, you know, anybody involved in craft brewing over the last 20, 30 years has always been vaguely aware that, that it was a reaching back. It was, it was recreating older traditions, more hops, more malt, right? So there was always the idea that inherent, I think, in craft brewing that it's historical. But now, to some degree, partly because this older information is more available, you know, and more available to people that can find it online, um, some of these recipes are now emerging and are, so the process is more uh, patent, more, you know, more obvious now or manifest, but, but the idea that craft brewing is traditional is really at the root, I think. You know, all good craft beer, I think, is, is historical, really, uh, in one way or another. Um, so, but in terms of the authenticity of this recipe, we followed the, the directions in the recipe, and we felt, and Cody, please jump in, but that the first place to start was to use English ingredients. Mm-hmm. English malt, English hops. And for example, the recipe called for one malt, which was very common in the 19th century, unlike today when frequently it's a blend. It's a blend of exactly. Uh, so we used one malt, uh, something called uh, Maris Otter, floor malted. Uh, Maris Otter was not a variety that existed in the 19th century. It, it dates from the 1960s, but its heritage is purely English, 
It's always been very highly respected. It has a track record. And we thought, because it's floor malted as well, as all malt was in, in the latter part of the 1800s, uh, that that would be an ideal uh, single malt to use. And then we used English hops. Perhaps, Cody, would you, would you want to discuss that? Oh, yeah. So I, I guess for me, this beer, it really just comes down to the raw materials. Uh, Gary provided us with this uh, amazing framework, uh, this recipe. Uh, I think it was, it was uh, what, three or four pounds of leaf hops per quarter of malt or something like that? Uh, per, per, 30, per finished 36 gallons of, of beer. So we, we yeah. kind of created this recipe around uh, getting to use this incredible amount of leaf hops um, in, the, uh, in the kettle. And the reason we chose leaf hops was because uh, they would provide us with the not only the fullest flavor of, of, of English hops, but also the hops wouldn't have been pelletized uh, mm -hmm. back then. So we got to use leaf hops. So we sourced the, the floor milk Marisotter um, from Crisp, uh, like Gary mentioned. Um, and then we got uh, English leaf fuggles and Ingr English um, white bread golding varieties. Um, and one of the really great things about uh, modern technology is that we were able to source um, uh, nitrogen flushed bags of leaf hops. So instead of having to get a whole bale of hops and have to worry about those hops being oxygenated uh, or being damaged by oxygen, um, these hops were completely fresh. So even they were a year old, um, they smelled as fresh as they came off of the uh, off the binds wow. in, in Kent. So we were able to increase our hop load um, not only by adding a ill-advised amount in the in the latter end of the of the boil but we got to put it on to uh, leaf hop dry hops so we were able to fill a bag with leaf hops and then do a secondary rest with the beer to uh, increase the uh, the english character with an extra cold rest on the beer with leaf hops which mm -hmm. if it was a bale we may have introduced the beer to more oxygen than we should have but uh, we didn't have a bale we had the nitrogen flush bags and so technology comes through for us. <laughs> I, I find it funny that technology is, has woven through this entire process because, of course, probably wouldn't have found the recipe in the first place had it, not been for absolutely. modern technology, which is archiving ancient history, which is just kind of funny the way that so all true. works. That's true. Um, Gary, I wanted to ask you about this beer. Is this the kind of beer that would have been commercially made back in those days? or, oh, or was it a absolutely. The... Um, the, uh, the recipe was given by a person, he used a pseudonym, an unusual pseudonym called Aroma, interesting name. Uh, and the reason was that in this uh, journal, uh, pe people that had practical problems in industry, it might be brewing, it might be transportation, it might be uh, you know, rubber manufacture, would write in and ask for help. So one person had written in some months before, how do I make real bitter beer, English bitter. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Because that was a time when obviously there was no internet. Uh, information was kept within companies under a, uh, you know, a tutoring system and an uh, old-fashioned system. There were textbooks, but they weren't easy to find. And people had practical issues. If you were in Yorkshire and there was a call for to make a, you know, English bitter, uh, and it wasn't the traditional beer of the region. How do I do that? Like, if yeah. I don't know how to do that. So people would write in, and this was just one of many requests, and Aroma appeared many times. I think I know who he may have been, but I, I don't know for sure. Oh, yeah? I, I think, yeah, I think he might have been a, uh, 
a well-known brewing scientist of the day. But people use pseudonyms, I think, partly because they didn't want, if they were from a competitive brewery, they didn't want their employer to know, you know they were helping somebody else. But that's how it came about. Somebody wanted to make the beer, and he answered. And there were similar questions and answers in other numbers that this uh, publication went for decades, up until World War I, from the 1860s to World War I. So um, there's no question in my mind that uh, because of that background that it was, you know, one of the recipe, not the only recipe, obviously, but that it was a genuine recipe, together with IPA. It was paired with IPA uh, as well, which was basically the same beer in terms of the components, single malt, you know, lots of hops, uh, but a higher gravity, stronger, and, and more hops, you know. But they're basically, both of these beers, Cass, uh, in, in my view, uh, having studied uh, the history extensively, are, are members of the, uh, of the English pale ale family. They all derive from India pale ale, ultimately. And, but they're at different gravity levels, you know, mm -hmm. different strengths. Um, and AK would have been a beer that was, you know, sold for, I won't say session necessarily consumption, maybe that is the right term, uh, in the pubs of England. It, it wasn't the typical beer that would have been sent to India. That would have been IPA. More hops yeah. to preserve it uh, for longer. Uh, but basically the same kind of product. Mm -hmm. Same same family. Um, and, and these terms, if I can just add one more thing. Uh, India Pale Ale, Pale Ale, um, Bitter Beer for India, XK, K. There was no statutory definition of these terms. They were, each brewer could use the term to mean a beer that might have been called something else by his competitor. But broadly speaking, what I said was true. You know, AK was more of a, you know, a medium gravity beer. IPAs were generally stronger, um, and so on. You know, so generally speaking, these categories applied in the market at that time. That's great. It sounds an awful lot like that journal was the first ever discussion forum. Because Ex exactly. it's the same kind of thing. People yeah. post questions That's right. and you get them responded to. It just probably took a little bit longer to get, get done. Absolutely. Um, so Cody, you mentioned that this beer sort of fit into your sort of ale or IPA sort of family that you've been working on. How, um, you know, how is this one sort of different or the same to some of the other IPAs or pale ales um, or English style beers that you've brewed? Um, I think it really just comes down to uh, uh, to balance and to uh, to the flavors that we're looking for. Like we were able to um, incorporate the quantity of hops that we did because we added a lot towards the end of the boil um, to try to really focus on the aroma and I think that that aroma hopping is something that is definitely a hallmark of, um, of the hop, more hop forward beers that, that we make um, and, uh, and just being able to uh, balance those hop flavors with a significant quantity of malt not just making something that's uh, light in body or, or with one, um, one light pale ale malt if this uh, Four Malted Maris Otter has a lot of uh, really sweet graham cracker body to it that is uh, great at balancing um, those those richer hop flavors that you get from the leaf hops. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I wanted to ask you about the floor malting because 
it's funny as you guys are talking it, it's giving me sort of flashes to the latest book that Pete Brown wrote and I did a podcast with him in London and so good yeah and it's just like there's it's divided into the sections malt uh, water yeast and hops and he was talking about how the floor malting process works and I'd love just for those that aren't familiar with what that is if you could talk about that and then how you got that done for this because correct me if I'm wrong that it was sort of unique for this beer to get the floor malting done sort of authentically well the uh, the I don't want to like we're not like insanely special that we can just like call up crisp and, and, and order some floor malted marisada like this is a shelf product um, not all BSG warehouses carry it but yeah. I'm sure if you ask Shelly nice enough she will get some in for you um, uh, but the floor malting process um, is uh, it's a little bit more painstaking than the modern malting process. So the uh, uh, as far as I understand, the, the the hydration vats wouldn't be terribly different, and the kilns wouldn't be terribly different. But the the, the amount of uh, grain uh, that gets dried um, on the floor, the actual floor, uh, is much. Uh, thinner in a floor malt than it would be in a, in a, in a commercial malt. So you have a, I think a few inches of, of grain that get churned up um, manually by, it could be a, a little wooden rake just being pulled by a, by a maltster as the, uh, as the malt starts to germinate and, uh, and sprout to the point where it's converted enough of those, uh, those proteins to make them all modified to be useful for brewers. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, Gary, I wanted to ask you again, you know, with your history uh, in beer and this particular type of beer, like in your in your lifetime as a drinker, did you ever come across something similar to this yes. in, in your past? Absolutely, and it's an excellent question because the bitter of England today is a descendant of uh, uh, AK, uh, IPA, XK, of that family of the 19th century. The pint of bitter, so-called, of, of you know that any tourist will look for in England, is the same beer, you know, in in descent. And I've had beers uh, in England, and I know you've traveled there extensively, Cass, that certainly were reminiscent of this. Absolutely, partly because of the um, heavy goldings, English goldings element of it, um, which is still used in many traditional English bitters. Um, and, and because of the English origin malt as well. Um, so absolutely, um, uh, I don't think I've ever had a beer that tasted ex- you know, exactly like this, but I could say it's, it's on the, uh, definitely, the English, there are, there's a class of English bitters in Britain today, uh, or pale ales, that are uh, definitely uh, uh, on the vector of this beer, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and that makes sense, I think. Mm-hmm. Great, well, I mean, this is, yeah. I, Really nice tasting beer. Um, again, I, I you know I go back to a Pete Brown reference, his book that was about the George Inn, which was the pub in London, which is like 500 years old since Shakespeare's time. You know, and as you as you taste it and you hear your story, it's sort of, you know, it's like the type of thing that you can imagine having back in those days. And uh, it really is one of those beers because it really is from those days. It really is, and, and I think it evokes the English village alehouse, frankly. Yeah. You know, one of the advantages of, of the historical investigation is it shows us the continuities 
of today, which I was just explaining, for some English bitter, but also the differences. You know, one difference is the single pale malt, right, Cody? There's no caramel malt in it, which is frequently used in modern English bitter. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all, but it's, it's a frequent addition, you know, to the mash of English uh, bitter ale today. Uh, this doesn't have that because it wasn't, didn't exist in 1870. They used one pale malt. So we, and, and also there are more, on average, I would say more hops in this glass of beer than, than the average English recipe today. Although it, it was designed not to taste overwhelmingly bitter. You know, we could have made it more bitter than it was, but we wanted a balance of, you know, elements um, and to showcase the English ingredients, especially the hop aroma. So that's the thing about, about historical investigation. It shows where things were different mm -hmm. and, and how things have not changed, too. You know? And that, that's the fun of it, I think, to be able to kind of judge you know, um, where they were at and, and how we have, what, we, what we have done with the process since then. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great beer and a great story behind it. Thank so, you. Um, so I really thank you guys for your time. This beer is... A one-off, but it's still available for a certain amount of time? Probably a few weeks. Okay. Good stuff. And it's available at the brewery? Uh, we've got it in cans at the brewery, and it, uh, it should be on tap at both of our brew pubs, but it is probably nearing the end of those taps. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was popular. And if, Cass, if I can just add, I, I, uh, before I conclude my, my, uh, my part of this, I want to thank again Amsterdam Brewery uh, and yourself today for doing this uh, with us but for their commitment to this project. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about it over a drink, uh, as we did when it started, whether we should do it, but it's another thing to actually make to do it, it happen. To do it. And, you know, Amsterdam, you know, they're a long-standing craft brewer of Toronto, as you know. They're a pioneer of craft brewing in this province. They care about beer. They care about its history. And they went with it, which I thought was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. We love brewing it. And it's fun to drink, too. So well, we're yeah. Happy. We're uh, happy. My glass is, em my <laughs> glass is empty. I love drinking it right now. So uh, on that note, thanks, guys, for your time. And uh, really nice chatting. Thanks, Cass. Thank thanks you, for Cass, for, for doing this.